Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film community where we make art house, indie, and classic cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we are finishing up season four of the podcast, which is the Art House Starter Pack. These are six films designed to help the new cinephile better connect with art house films. If you've always wanted to watch more quote-unquote artsy movies, but you feel confused by them or don't know where to begin, this season is for you. Today is the final of the six. It is Terrence Malick's 2011 masterpiece, The Tree of Life. This film is epic in its scope and poetic in its telling, and it's one of my very favorite films. So I'm very excited to dig into it with Andrew Camarillo, who is here again to finish out the season. Andrew, how are you today, and what have you been watching lately? Hey, Andrew. Uh, thank you. Um, recently, I watched The Lady Eve, um, a 1940s film by Preston Sergis um, that stars Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. It's a comedy, and it was really fun. I, I hadn't seen the film, so yeah, uh, I enjoyed watching that. I have not seen that before either, but I, I, I know the title and I've heard that's you know a film to see from that era. And I um, so yeah, I'm gonna check that out. Will you recommend it? Yeah, I, I would say um, the acting is really good, but it's kind of like a screwball comedy. Hmm, okay. um, it, it was fun. It, I, I felt like. It was difficult to know what was sometimes going on with the story, mm. but it was in a fun way. Like it was enjoyable, kind of silly. Um, but for for that time period, I, I think it's really good. It's it's sort of like um, His Girl Friday. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. If yeah. people have seen that film, uh, so yeah, that's cool. I love a screwball comedy. Um, speaking of comedy, the thing I was going to bring up is uh, actually in the TV world. So I watched something recently that was not as good as something I watched that's related to it that's better <laughs> that I watched a few months before that. So anyway, the the TV show I watched recently is called Crashing, and it's a Netflix show. Um, it's a like a British sitcom. I, I really like British um, British TV and movies, um, but this is it's kind of there's I feel like there's sort of a subgenre of just like small stories, British sitcoms, and this was about like six. 20 30 somethings and uh their relationship drama basically but it's really funny um and i watched it because it was created and stars uh created by and stars um phoebe waller bridge who is more famous now for her other show uh which is called fleabag which i watched a few months ago and i really recommend it uh, even more than crashing um fleabag is mm. it's on amazon prime so you can watch it there but it's um I think it was originally a one-woman show, a stage play, with her that she wrote and starred in, and then they adapted it into just two seasons of TV. Um, it's really interesting. It's really creative. It's it's about relationships again. That's very funny. She's hilarious. Um, but it's interesting because she she breaks the fourth wall regularly. That that's part of the show. Um, that she is talking to us as the audience and explaining what's going on, and people can't hear her inner thoughts. She just turns to the camera, talks, and goes back to her. Her conversation so it's really interesting in that way it's hilariously funny uh, but then uh season two especially goes to and and season one as well um goes to some really um some really emotional places that i didn't expect so anyway i will highly recommend fleabag and if you really like british sitcoms i will recommend crashing um but uh yeah those, those are my my two phoebe waller bridge recommendations she's a really creative person and I'm, i can't wait to see what else she does but Awesome. There you go. Well, all right. Well, then let's get into today's movie, The Tree of Life.
There are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. It takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things that a mulling adult can accomplish. I've just always wanted you to be strong, be your own man. All right, let's talk about The Tree of Life. So, yeah, this is, as I mentioned in the intro, a a big movie in a lot of ways, but also small in some other ways. Um, And and I think that's that kind of paradox of it is part of why I love it so much. Um, I have a a quote, actually. So the Criterion Blu-ray has a couple of essays. Um, One is by... um, uh, Roger Ebert, and it's really great, and it's it's kind of focuses on the spiritual side of um, the film, and and kind of he he brings up his spiritual connection to it, which was really interesting. But then the other is um, by Kent Jones, and I I can link to that one in the show notes. It is online. I'll see if I can find the Roger Ebert one. Um, but he has a paragraph that I thought kind of summed up the movie. If you've never seen this before, kind of how does this, how, how can, it's hard to break this down into just a few sentences because it is so big, but here's what he says. He says, what is the story of the tree of life? Is it the story of a cultured Texas family in the fifties told in flashback? Is it a story of conflict between a traditionally domineering father and a radiant and compassionate mother? Is it the story of the world and human consciousness as exemplified by this mid-century American family? Or is it the story of one second and one day in the existence of a lost man who works in a glass office tower in which his own life, and by extension all of life, flashes before his eyes? It's all of these things, but to enumerate them doesn't begin to do justice to the experience of actually watching this film. And I like that because it does get at all the different things, because... Essentially, the the basics of the plot is um, as a husband and wife at the beginning find out that their one of their children has passed away. They get the they get the news. They get a telegram, um, and you can tell that that's what's happened. And then it shows one of the sons grown up uh, in his in his glass tower at his job in I think Dallas is what it seems like. And then um, it does it flashes back, and most of the movie is stories of his childhood um and kind of experiencing like what what life was like for him um with his his mother and his father and his brothers but it also and this is in a small texas town but it also um kind of shows everything ever a meaning it shows the big bang and it shows dinosaurs and it shows um like inner cell um mitochondria and stuff so it, it it goes into all these really big places um but i'd say primarily it is the story of this family and this boy so anyway that's that's big strokes of what it is um and so i guess we can kind of just go through the film and, and it might be helpful to start with kind of the visual style of it because that was for me um the most striking thing this time so i've seen this one time before uh, in 2011 i rented it because I, it was getting a lot of hype um, and I've seen one other Malik film, and that is um, The New World, which is um, 
about coming to America. Um, and I was really young when I saw that. So I don't remember too much other than it had a lot of beautiful nature, uh, beautiful imagery of nature, which, um, this does too. So anyway, that's kind of my relationship. I get, before we really get into it, Andrew, how many times have you seen this? What are your thoughts on this movie? Um, I don't know how many times I've seen it over uh, probably eight to 10 times. Wow. I'm not sure, but I, but it has been since it was shown in theaters in 2011 mm-hmm. until now. Now it's not, um, like all at once. So you um, saw it in the theater so, several times. Yeah. Is, that, is that what that means? I, I saw it in the, the, the uh, I saw it in theaters a couple times. And then okay. since then I've seen it intermittently um okay. over the last years so um it's not all just condensed to a specific time period okay. which i saw this film but i really enjoy the film and for malik i feel like this is we'll probably get to this later but kind of like a a new um a turning point or an inflection mm-hmm. point in his filmmaking career and all of the films that have come after this film for him in the last um nine years have kind of ridden uh the the new perspective or mm-hmm. the the like the yeah, the way that he's making uh, cinema in this film. So I, I think it's a very important film for his career and then also in general for American cinema in the mm-hmm. 21st century. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that that seems to track with everything I know about it. And, and yeah, I, I think that's true. The thing I remembered about this from the first time I watched it, which, again, was almost 10 years ago, so I was a different person then. But um, I just remember... It, it gave me the feeling that I guess it's sort of an existential spiritual kind of feeling of how small I am in the universe, but also how important I am. Um, so it made me feel small and big. That's a phrase that we, me and you, Andrew, used talking about um, Synecdoche, New York, uh, because in a similar yeah. way, it's a very different movie, um, but it made me feel the, the sort of the expanse of everything. And how big that all is, but how important human experiences are within that. And, and this movie does that beautifully right. by showing um, essentially all of human history, um, but zeroing in on this one boy and his um, his development, really, which um, that. So another part of this for me now, I have kids and um, I, just seeing this as a father was a really different experience and, and really moving. <laughs> I wanted to just cancel all my plans for the week and just play with my kids all week um just because it made me feel the the weight of um parenting um uh, i mean i think i'm a better dad than than brad pitt is in this movie but um i <laughs> i it still made me just understand in a new way i think it's like i understand that but this made me feel it uh in, in a way like from my head to my heart maybe anyway so we can go on and on about that. I, I'm a big fan of this movie. Um, but yeah, so on the visual style was where I was going to start was um, that was the the more surprise, the most surprising thing and maybe one of the best things about this is the way um, – here's another quote from that essay actually that I thought put this really well. It says, every distinct instant in this film feels like it's been caught or plucked from ongoing life. I think that really captures it because it almost feels like a documentary where you're just catching little snippets of things and yet it's so carefully crafted, um, especially like the first, I guess the first 30 to 40 minutes is where you're getting all of the the space imagery and the, um, the Big Bang and the dinosaurs and all of that, um, but also interspersed with some images of childhood and um, 
and just yeah, beautiful shots of nature. And then the way the camera is, is dancing around for a lot of this is really amazing. And there are some recurring yeah, images. I, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say the cinematographer on this, Emmanuel Betsky, um, who, yeah, has done a lot of work, I think, with um, uh, on films like, uh, did I think he did Gravity and mm. also um, has worked with Malik on, um, I believe another film, I can't remember which, but the, the uh, like in gravity, the sweeping motions, uh, the mm-hmm. poetic kind mm-hmm. of feel of the camera, the lightless, like almost, um, yeah, moving against the weight and just kind of like mm-hmm. swirling and spinning around yeah. and, and catching the development of the children, like from a young, like from birth almost to, mm-hmm. um, you know, six, seven, eight years old. It's, it's really like you were saying, um, I agree. I, catching snippets of life and then piecing them together, um, in like a documentary style, but just almost these key poetic moments, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost none of the scenes have like a clear, uh, what we expect in, in a movie of a clear beginning, middle and end kind of thing, but it, they, they just kind of pick up in the middle of something and you figure it out. And, um, and yet it all comes together to be something really cohesive. Yeah. So what do you make of, um, I guess so that opening intro section was, so we, we do first, um, find out the bad news and we see some, um, some really beautiful shots of Jessica Chastain and then Brad Pitt in, the, in this forest area. And we sort of get to know them a little bit, but then it, it does, it kind of zooms back and, um, see a lot of outer space stuff. And then we see a lot of, um, yeah, sort of evolution of creatures on planet Earth. And then, um, yeah, then it does have some what seems like microscopic, like cellular things happening too, all with this beautiful um, classical music. And there's a few specific images that I made note of. But uh, yeah, what do you have thoughts about just kind of that section of the film? That section of the film, it seems to be, for me, a response in some way to the question that the mother is asking mm. um, of, like, why did this happen? Where were you? Mm. Like, when mm. she finds out that her, her son has died, I think, at the age of 19. And it's this questioning of uh, that kind of goes back to the beginning of the film when we see, uh, like, a scripture. I'm not sure. If you, do you have that, Andrew? The, yes, um, it's, uh, it's Job 38, 4, and 7. And I can read that. It says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, um, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Right. Yeah. So it seems to be hearkening, hearkening back to this where when she has the question, it's like the answer is this massive kind of mm-hmm. grandiose um, telling of the history of the cosmos and the kind of breadth and reach of the cosmos and the the song, uh, the, the classical music going on in the background, I believe, is a song called Lacrimosa, hmm. which I believe is um, is a, like a, a mourning song, like a song mm-hmm. of grief and mourning. And it's very powerful. And um, Malik worked with um, the visual effects director Douglas Trumbull, I believe, mm-hmm. who worked on 2001: A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's right. Where some of the visual effects um, and special effects here are just incredible. Mm. Um, the colors, the almost like crystallization on the screen of like liquids. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing yeah. uh, to behold. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a great piece. I, I have um, friends of mine uh, who don't like that sequence very mm-hmm. much. Yeah. And I, I think I can understand why, because seeing the children develop and grow uh, 
is really amazing and wonderful in its own right. And I feel like for some people, maybe it feels like breaking up the film in some mm-hmm. way and yeah. going into something else, not showing Cosmos. But for me, it puts um, the focus of the film in perspective of, okay, we are going to also zoom out and look at more than just this individual family, but also their place within this larger world. And I think that's our larger universe. Um, and I, I think it was a, um, a good a good approach. Um, there are some scenes, I think, later on in that where it may little bit too long but but i really enjoy that uh, malik went there and his decision to to show some of these images yeah it's surprising stuff and you don't expect to see dinosaurs in a, in a movie about a family in texas in the 50s but right. um it's yeah I, I i understand that critique of it too that it's it's sort of two separate things um but i think that they are woven together well and then yeah i think because it is surprising you think why why do this this way then and then it kind of brings you that conclusion of, like you're saying, it's putting them in context of the whole universe. Um, and by extension makes you right. kind of do that same thing. You know, it's interesting too, at times in, in my life and kind of a personal thing, just when I've gone through grief, I've, I found myself thinking about evolution a lot for some reason. Um, when, uh, I was just kind of questioning, I, I think it was because I was, my brain was going to like, why, why would this happen? Why would this person close mm-hmm. to me die? And, um, it, it, it made me zoom out in that same way. So I think that's, that's kind of interesting, but, um, yeah, I wanted to talk also yeah. about the, um, well, first of all, in that sequence, there's a, a repeated image throughout the whole movie of some sort of, it looks like a spirit or it's like a moving shape. I think it's the first image you see after the Bible verse. And then it kind of appears here and there. Um, my theory is that that is supposed to be God or, or it's like, um, or the human spirit or some, something like that. That's like, this is like the essence of being whatever, whatever. Mm. And, and I think it's, I mean, it's ambiguous to some degree. Um, but that's, that was my thought. That's kind of what I pieced together. Do you have a thought on what that is? Yeah. Well, I agree. I think in, in general that it's some sort of spirit, mm-hmm. um, some, some representation or like, um, image to reflect like life in some mm-hmm. way or, um, yeah, some spirit in the universe. Uh, maybe not directly. Um, yeah, it, it feels ambiguous, yes, but it does. It shows up at the beginning and at the, later in the film, and, and it kind of marks this spirit, kind of this like fundamental thing that's like mm-hmm. existing. Um, and from like from there, the film kind of opens and closes. And I think that that makes sense to me, some sort of spirit or being. Yeah, kind of elemental in, in some way, whatever it is. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, and then from there it does move on to into kind of the the family story, and it um, I think it does a beautiful job of showing um, yeah growing up and um, he the the boy who's the the lead um, his name is Jack right is that correct Yeah, Jack. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he um, he yeah so he um as he grows as he he has baby brothers um and he so it shows him interacting with a baby for the first time and and then it shows him um loving his mother so much and and then loving his father but then there's some distance with his father because his father's very stern military man and um, later there are some some sort of scenes of reconciliation there there are some scenes of um, abuse really um uh, at his hands and there's some um 
there's a scene where he's sort of discovering sexuality in, in an interesting way and and the, the you see the guilt and the shame that he feels around the feelings that he's having there um so it, yeah, it just goes in a lot of different directions uh, about kind of male child development um and it's it's really interesting and uh, it, and it just like in the beginning it kind of um sweeps from from section to section um with a and just really gracefully um but yeah i guess the the main thing i'm thinking about from this scene or this section which is really the rest of the movie is the performances in it um so i want to see what do you think of the performances i i'm incredibly taken with jessica chastain in this i remember her being good the first time i watched it but um i think she's phenomenal as this mother and there's so much um mm unspoken just love pouring out for her children that you can just feel and um she's really um energetic and and vibrant as well and um she she was kind of the the centerpiece of this for me even though she's not technically the the protagonist um but um yeah but i think brad pitt does a really great job as well um he's he's intimidating at moments um um, but also soft at other moments and and i think it um paints a, a a good picture of a uh, a person who contains multitudes, right? He's, um, he's not just one, uh, he's very multidimensional, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I think Brad Pitt does a, a good job with that in the performance and the, the kid actors are all really good as well. Um, including, mm. um, Jack who he's got a pretty, um, a straight face for a lot of this. I think he, he does a good job of not betraying the emotions he's feeling, but at the same time we can feel beneath the surface and we can understand what he's feeling in a lot of them as well. Um, so I think that that's a really, a, a great performance from him as well. But yeah, yeah. any thoughts on the performers? I thought the children did an incredible job. I was very impressed. The mm-hmm. first time I saw the film and like every time since I've really been uh, impressed. Hunter McCracken, I think is the yes, name of the actor right. who mm-hmm. plays young Jack and he is really, really good. Um, I think Jessica Chastain is incredible in the film. Um, I, I do feel as though Brad Pitt's character, um, Mr. O'Brien, seems to be, in a way, it feels like there's a lot of um, almost like a toxic masculinity going mm, on. This yeah. like success, pushing his children for you know, achieving, you know, um, I mean, the film opens up in some ways in the first few minutes uh, by Jessica Chastain doing a voiceover, which voiceovers are very key and important yes, in this film, those, yeah. um, where she is saying there's the way of nature and the way of grace mm-hmm. and kind of contrasting the two and how the way of grace is uh, about love and compassion mm-hmm. and connection, where the way of nature is like selfish and like taking and uh, trying to control. Yeah, I have a quote actually on that really quick. Um that I really like. Yeah. Grace doesn't try to lease itself. It accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked. It accepts insults and injuries. Anyway, I, I just noted that, and then thought I'd, and then also nature only wants to please itself. Yeah, I I think that's. I thought the performances by uh, Jessica Chastain and Brad Pitt were very good. Um, all around, the performances were really great. Um, I did feel like Jessica Chastain's character, I wish we could have explored a little bit more mm. her character because it did seem like we are seeing this through memory of Sean Penn's character, yeah. the young Jack. Um, and we are um, we are kind of seeing this idealization or romanticization of like a mother figure. And I, I, I think Jessica Chastain does a great job, but we still get moments at times of her you know, the, like the trouble and the, the heartache and the anguish that she experiences being married to this man who 
at times seems to want to be caring, but it has uh, seems to suffer from a lot of shame. And I think there's uh, there's several points in the film where he admits to putting his shame on his own children, mm. um, and kind of like not really dealing with himself and just like applying it and projecting it outwards on them. And uh, I think that's that's not that's not great. And I I kind of feel like. Um, I think it would have been good to maybe have some more Jessica Chastain and like more nuance to her character because I do feel like it kind of trended towards maybe like too saintly or too like, um, like, yeah, too much of like this saving grace or, yeah, where it's almost mother versus father, angel on your shoulder, devil on your shoulder feeling a little bit, yeah, maybe a little too simplistic. Yeah, but I do think there was nuance in the portrayals by the uh, the two actors, mm-hmm. uh, Chastain and Brad Pitt. But I did feel like maybe that was something to that that could have been done a bit differently. But as far as the performances overall, really great. And I think the 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 interactions and the the dynamics between the um, the children was incredible. But I, I'm sure we'll get to that. But I, mm-hmm. I thought it was um, amazing to see some of those interactions by child actors that that they're limit they're not speaking a lot they're not really acting out in mm-hmm. many ways a lot of it is really contained in, in the body and the face but yeah. there is the subtle expression that um is moving yeah uh, and that's i think it's really well done one moment that kind of uh, there's a lot of yeah unspoken things like you're saying in the body and the face one scene uh, that this, this is noted in that essay as well but i um caught it as well that uh, when He's gone for business. Brad Pitt has to leave for work. And the moment he's gone, there's just this like unspoken again, just freedom and joy that um, the whole family is feeling. And I think Jessica Chastain doesn't want to put words to that, but she clearly feels it too, that this is when he's become a bit more domineering in the narrative. And suddenly with his presence gone, um, they are so happy and they're joyful and they they're playing and um so yeah it, i think that maybe feeds into that um overly simplistic uh feeling as well but <clears throat> that you're mentioning that she's all good and he's all bad in, in a sense but um but yeah i think that the, the performances are really well done there's several moments in this when um yeah there's, there's a lot of voiceovers let's talk about the voiceovers because several of them are maybe all of them are sort of um, maybe their prayers. So it seemed like to be several of them are directed at God, and um, some of those are are um, really positive, and some are more negative. So here's one. This is Sean Penn's voiceover towards the beginning. Uh, he says, "You spoke to me through her. You spoke to me through the sky, the trees. Before I knew you, I loved you, believed in you. When did you first touch my heart?" And so, um, and also there's another one. This is Jessica Chastain. She says. Um, Love is smiling through all things. And so I think both of those are getting at this idea of, of seeing God in nature. And, and I think that's a, another reason to have this whole first section that's showing nature from the beginning, um, kind of drawing that connection. And so, yeah, I think there are some interesting connections between the two. There's that. Um, this is sort of an, an, just an aside, but we see the dinosaurs at one point, which is so surprising. And then later in the film, they're playing in a field and one of them picks up this really large bone and he just kind of as a joke or an aside, I found a dinosaur bone and then goes on. But <laughs> immediately that connects in my brain. Oh, that this is the same universe that um, we saw at the beginning with the dinosaurs. And, but here we are in the fifties. And so it kind of, I think there are some clever ways that kind of draws those together. But yeah, back to the voiceovers. Um, 
they, so there are those really positive ones and really beautiful ones, but then as they're experiencing grief, there are some big questions as well. So, um, Jessica Chastain, someone says uh, he's in God's hands now. This is not a prayer actually, but she says he was always in, or he was in God's hands the whole time. And, um, and then I think from there, there's a prayer that, um, is sort of questioning. Um, and then young Jack also, when one of their, uh, friends in the neighborhood, uh, he drowns and they, they see him, they witness that. Um, and he, that's a big, that's when he first kind of encounters the concept of death. And he kind of has some really big questions about that. And, um, he, he has a prayer like that. That's, um, I'm trying to find out uh, was he bad? He, he sort of questions the morality as this happened because he was bad. Um, and then he, he imagines his mother dying and he's afraid of that. Um, and then he, he prays, uh, where were you? You let a boy die. You let anything happen. How should I be good if you aren't? And, um, so in that you see him just working out morality and like, if, if we all die, what's the point of life? Um, which again is a, another question this whole movie is asking. Um, but then you also see him equating, um, God with his own father and sort of the, uh, for lack of a better term, the daddy issues and the way that, um, often, I think this is pretty common, um, ties up with how we, how we understand God is, um, uh, how we understand our, our earthly father, right? I think that's a common thing in Western Christianity. Um, so his father is very harsh to him. And so then he starts to understand that maybe God is this way too. And so then you have him as an adult thinking through this and seeming to maybe break this idea down a little bit. And so I almost wonder if through this new grief that he's experiencing as an adult, he's, he's reopening some of these same questions and as he's remembering all these things and mm. yeah, just asking these big questions. Anyway, that's um, a lot to say that I think the, the voiceovers are really key and um, are, are really moving. Yeah, I, I think there's also a voiceover where he is um, praying that um, the that God would like let him die, like his dad mm. or something. And there's oh, yeah. there, and he there's a moment where he looks at a Jack holding up a car that his dad is working under, and he's looking yeah. <laughs> almost as mm-hmm. if he's a criminal up and down the street, as if he would uh, potentially hit the Jack and let it drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are there there. And there, I think, um, quite a few feelings of shame yeah. that uh, Jack is experiencing, and also this feeling of possibly wanting retribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and his engagement with his mother later is sort of like, "I'm not going to listen to you. You let him walk all over you." Uh, that's a kind of mm-hmm. response uh, of his, um, and it's this sense of wanting to act out. And at one point, he yells at his dad when everyone's just playing, and and says, Oh, uh, uh, I'm the one she loves or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's, and it's just out of nowhere and it's this pent up frustration and anger mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, envy. And it's, 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 I think very well acted, um, mm-hmm. by, by Hunter McCracken. And I, I believe also from Alec, um, I think that, uh, from what I've read that his, his brother died uh, earlier in life and, mm-hmm. um, this may have some, personal connotations as well. Um, and I, I think, um, one, my, one of my favorite scenes, uh, is the interaction between Jack and his brother. Um, the one who, uh, who passed away, uh, RL, I think, um, um, when he, 
his brother earlier in the film says, you know, I trust you. He's like, uh, Jack is holding up like a, a lamp, um, socket to him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his brother has, um, um, it looks like a, a wire clothes hanger and is like unsure to stick it in or not. He does. And he's not harmed. And he's like, Oh, okay. I trust you yeah. later, a little bit later in the film. Uh, his brother Jack has a gun and he is holding it and he has his brother put his hand there and then he shoots his hand and Jack run, um, his brother runs away. But there's this reconciliation where he's mm-hmm. trying to like show in his own way by like holding up a fan and letting it blow on his brother. Hey, I'm sorry in some mm-hmm. way without saying it initially. Yeah. And his brother is looking at him contemplating, like trying to see, like, I think maybe if he's sincere and uh, he eventually gives Jack gives his brother this wooden two by four and is like, okay, you know, you can hit me if you want, basically for like retribution, which mm-hmm. is probably what he would experience with his dad. Right. And his brother mm-hmm. decides not to do that. And, you know, like fakes pretends like he's going to hit them and he just smiles. And then they, they have a moment later where his brother touches him on his head and they're both kind of like crying and emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very beautiful um, portrayal of probably brotherhood um, and family yeah. that, um, that really, I think helped Jack as a character. Like, Sean Penn as an adult Jack going back and remembering those things and some of his voiceover allude to that like what did you show me and like you know trying to find his brother in some way in spirit um I thought that was very moving yeah I I was going to bring that scene up too I think it is uh, a really powerful one and it it kind of gets that too this this movie shows kind of the cycles of abuse like we see the anger that his father feels towards him and then it starts coming out as he's breaking windows and he's sort of acting out in these ways and we see him going from this sweet little boy to suddenly he's he's got this violence that he he lets out um, in this anger um, and, and it very clearly kind of coming from his father and the way he's treated by his father and then this scene that you just mentioned it almost is like showing how grace can break those cycles and I thought that was a really um, yeah, just a beautiful picture of that because it starts out with that same kind of violence and, and but in the end they reconcile and um, yeah, it's just really beautiful. I really like that about it. And, and also the film also shows that we see the marital fighting between um, his parents, but then there's other then there's the neighbors clearly are, are having marital disputes as well. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of get a sense um, just kind of just hints at the fact that this is a bigger issue and that this sort of toxic masculinity that, um, he's experiencing and then learning is really widespread at this point. And, um, you know, it still is. And, and, um, so I, I think in a, in a an interesting way, it, it sort of pushes against that as well. And it mm-hmm. shows the harm of that. So, yeah, I, I, um, really like that about it as well. Let's see. I, I did want to talk about the endings. Maybe we can go ahead and go there, um, really quickly. Actually, first, just, this is back on the, some of the imagery, um, there's a really amazing just a throwaway moment almost it's really brief um but it's when jack is being born and it it shows um you know pregnant mom and you kind of understand that's what's happening and then it cuts to this this again it's like this beautiful nature shot but it's underwater it's this like bedroom underwater and you see a child like swim out of it and i was like what Mm -hmm. was that and then i realized i think this was depicting birth like that was that was his little room mm. in the womb and then he's swimming out in this uh, underwater and it's just this faceless child um but it, so it's i thought what a what a beautiful poetic way to show what childbirth is like as he has this comfortable room and has to leave um and, and so just again getting at the beginnings of things and the endings of things and um 
Mm. And, yeah, I thought that was just a beautiful moment. So anyway, yeah, back to the ending, which again has some really beautiful imagery. What do you make of the ending? Because it um, it ends up with with Sean Penn again, and he's clearly um, feeling a lot of these, uh, just a lot of big feelings and big questions as he's thinking about all of this. Um, and then it's uh, it shows him first in like a desert area um, with his younger self. And, um, so it, it, I thought that was a cool way to show that he's sort of wrestling with his inner child or, or something and feeling, um, the duality of, uh, who he was then and who he is now and, and questioning all that. But then the big ending is on this beach uh, and, or almost like a sandbar or something. Uh, it's really beautiful. And, um, he's walking and so are, it seems like everyone he's ever known, um, are walking alongside him and, um, interacting and, um, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. I, it's, it's really evocative and, and emotional, but it's, um, kind of unclear as well. So do you have any thoughts on, um, how this movie ties together at the end there? I think it's an interesting portrayal of an inner life and mm-hmm. this in some way, yeah, a reconciliation of, um, potentially this way of grace that he's going back to or Mm -hmm. that he wants to embrace again Mm -hmm. and kind of maybe reconciling in himself his relationships with people of the past those who have died those Mm -hmm. who may still be present but definitely his own past with his family um and trying to um I don't know, create a life anew, uh, a new way of being for himself or, you know, hearkening back to maybe his childhood before maybe the turn towards what we see as maybe his way of going towards in the film, what's considered nature. Mm. Um, I think it may be uh, a reconciling and a, a balance uh, or maybe not a balance, but a, a moving towards uh, grace. And by doing so in himself, mm. it feels like a reuniting uh, because at this time I, I would think that, his brother is dead. I'm not sure if his mother had died at that point. I know he spoke on the phone with his father when he's in the Jack's, uh, mm-hmm. Sean Penn's characters in the tower. But from the age, I mean, just from the time period, his father's probably very, very old and possibly could be uh, dying at any point, I would guess. Um, he probably would be in his 70s or 80s at that point. So, um, yeah, it seems it's, for me, it feels like a, a movement back towards um, wholeness. And uh, like you said, this working through with his inner self and his inner child, the wounds, but now kind of um, seeking solace and joy in uh, the miracles of living, like the miracles of being, Mm. um, which I think are shown throughout the film in different ways in his memory, but also in these cuts to nature and the cosmos. Mm. Um, It's kind of seen anew, I think. Yeah. I like that. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, um, yeah, I just I just had thought that it you know it's in his head and clearly and maybe he's um, as he's looking back he's um, just realizing the influence that all the people around him had on him and so maybe mm-hmm. it was some sort of way to visualize um, sort of walking along the journey of the journey of life or something and the people with him and um, yeah I think I mean both can be true and um, and you can kind of make your own meaning out of something like that. And I think that's a really great thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a moving ending. I think it's really beautiful and ends again with just beautiful shots of, um, this, this kind of watery beach area. That's, 
it's just really gorgeous and everyone's in kind of kind of mostly dressed in white and kind of lighter colors i think and um yeah it's a it's a striking a really striking kind of final segment right. I think others have said um, that, you know, there's an interpretation I can see it where it seems to be almost like um, the resurrection slash mm. the, uh, um, I'm not sure the terminology, but like um, reunion in heaven at some point, like after death, mm. because yeah. we do see images of life passing through doorways, um, people in the ground, and then people reaching up out of a grave, it seems like, mm. to be resurrected or like renewed. Um, so I, I, you know, there, there is that kind of renewal for me, it seems to be more in the head and kind of in, in a sense of reaching in, in his own psyche and his own memory and being, but I could see that as well. And it, it is very poetic and open to interpretation. I think, um, much of these sequences in the film, um, which allows, yeah, the, the viewer to bring what they have in their own experiences or their own belief systems to, to the film. So I like that. Yeah, and and I guess it's sort of related to that, just the kind of the spiritual nature of this. It really does, because it's so big in its scope, but also so um, yeah, humanistic. It's kind of a word I, I used in a previous about a previous movie, life affirming that it's um, it's it's showing the beauty in um, most of the things that it's depicting. Um, but it, I think it really does cause you to kind of pause and reflect and have existential thoughts about um things and i think the style of it it really invites you to do that the way that it is almost feels like a documentary and it's kind of told in snippets um it feels in in a way it feels hyper realistic um i mean it's certainly the closest i can probably ever get to to witnessing what what did the big bang look like what did the beginning of the planet earth look like um it's probably the closest i can get Mm. to something like that and so i think it it is inviting you to to ask big questions and explore those things. But at the same time, it's really, um, I think hopeful and, uh, it doesn't, if there are movies I've seen that ask big questions and the answers are scary, <laughs> but I, and I think uh, that they're, they ask existential questions or they question, um, you know, I, I think about some Coen brothers films, just feeling really nihilistic in the ending. Like, uh, what's the, the, it's actually also kind of parallels Job. I'm trying to think the, the name of the film, but uh, a serious man. Mm. <laughs> that movie seems so nihilistic and um, pointing to the fact that life is pointless. I really like that movie, um, but uh, I think it kind of stands against something like this. That um, I, for I don't know much about Terrence Malick, but it would appear that he believes in God or believes in some sort of um, spirituality that um, that that there is beauty in. Mm. So anyway, I think. Um, I really like that about the movie as well. And that might be a good um, transition into talking about Malik. So as I mentioned, I've only seen one other film, which was uh, The New World, which um, tells us about Pocahontas and uh, um, John Smith. And um, and, and I I, I, my memory of that film is it's somewhat vague, but I mean, I, I remember it feeling kind of dreamlike in some, some of the ways that it's shot and that sort of thing. So that might yeah. contribute to like, I can't latch on to exactly what I remember from it, but I was going to see what other Malik films have you seen and, and what do you know about him as a filmmaker? Right. Um, the same cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubitsky, he did uh, the new world as well with Malik. So maybe that's why you yeah. see the, the similarity. Um, so I've seen, um, Days of Heaven, The Thin Red Line, The New World, To the Wonder, Knight of Cups, and that is all. I stopped okay. after that. Knight of Cups was a bit... Um, it, it, Malik, it, from, uh, oh, I've also seen Badlands. Um, okay. 
I believe just one time. But yeah, day, I'm more familiar with Days of Heaven, Thin Red Line, Thin uh, Tree of Life, and um, I've seen To the Wonder, Knight of Cups, and The New World, but not as many times. Okay. Uh, from the Tree of Life onward, I feel like, as I mentioned, um, Malik is moving more with his voiceovers, these poetic uh, sort of anti-gravity almost mm -hmm. like shots where you know there's a lot of swinging and whirling around and the storytelling is less linear mm -hmm. and um it's more elliptical and very it's more difficult to uh, i think get your hands on in ways but uh, obviously that's intentional and i think it has some nice effects um but i i feel like the tree of life did it very well and then after into the wonder and night of cups it feels like it's um for me it didn't resonate as much yeah that's what i've heard from other people too yeah yeah uh but pr prior to the tree of life uh in his works with badlands days of heaven the thin red line and the new world i think these are all really great films and with the thin red line um sean penn is in that film as well and it's um set during uh the time of world war ii um the performances from Nick Nolte to um, I'm, I'm, I'm losing track of uh, actors' names here. Adrian Brody, I <laughs> yes, believe. Exactly. The, the yeah, so he he's in the film, and they're they're just excellent performances. But Malik at this time is starting to use voiceover a little more than in Days of Heaven and mm -hmm. Badlands, and the elements, which I think I wanted to mention, play a big role in the Tree of Life, mm -hmm. water, fire, earth. Um, uh, these things are in wind are really having an importance in the film. The, the Jack and um, his brothers are like children and at times in the film babies and they're experiencing rain or sunlight mm -hmm. or shadows. Yeah. And it's it's really magical and it's presented in this really beautiful, almost miraculous way. And the thin red line, even among the jungle and war, um, these soldiers are experiencing, you know, um, I think uh, the the birds, the um the wildlife the plants the sky in a, in a miraculous way the, the the characters who are attuned to that and the thin red line um sort of follows jim caviezel who is i think probably the main character the protagonist or one of the protagonists in the film he's seen the world in a different way than sean penn's character who is his superior in the military mm -hmm. who's like okay more of like a a character similar to um brad pitt's character mm -hmm. in, in the tree of life a bit more structured and disciplined and uh, a bit rigid. Um, and uh, Jim's character is just wanting to connect with the indigenous population, be friendly to them, be kind, be considerate and looking out for his fellow um, officer, but not in a way to just like kill people to protect their lives, but like mm -hmm. actually concerned about their emotional welfare. And I think Malik from the Thin Red Line onwards, um, uh, it is also engaged with more voiceover and more elements like the weather and setting and atmosphere really play a massive part in the new world, the tree of life and going forward. And, I, and days of heaven does that as well. Um, but days of heaven feels a bit more linear in a way and mm -hmm. feels a bit more straightforward in its approach. But I think it's a great days of heaven is a great film. Um, and it's very, very beautiful. Um, there's <laughs> these beautiful crops and you have this like old kind of, I'm not sure if it's Victorian home uh, in the middle of the, this field. And there is a massive brush fire that happens in the film. And it's one mm. of the most stunning sequences I can remember just uh, as far as landscapes being mm. shot in a film, a right. fictional film. It's, it's incredible. But the elements, I think, are really important for Malik. And um, yeah, I think he does a really good job with him in The Tree of Life to, to show the miraculous and the beauty of just 
what some, a lot of times we take for granted uh, in, in our weather. So hmm. Revisiting this has made me realize like Malik is a filmmaker I really need to um, dig more into. And, and that, that tracks with what I've heard about you know, since Tree of Life. Um, his films have not been as favored perhaps as the ones before mm. that. Um, although my understanding is that last year's um, A Hidden Life is, is supposed to be very, very good. Um, which, yes, I need uh, to see yeah, that. Yeah. I have not yet seen, obviously, but it's um, about a, a conscious, conscientious objector, if I can pronounce that word right, uh, about uh, he, he's objecting to Nazism. So that sounds um, pretty compelling, and, and I would really like to watch that. But. Mm. I think the ending image, I think the last mm. scene we see before the flame or the kind mm. of like luminous uh, object or, or whatever, light, yeah. uh, right, uh, is we see a bridge at the end of the film. And I believe yeah. mm. Kent Jones from the essay you were talking about yes. um, says it's going from, it's in New York, going from Staten Island to Manhattan, I believe, or maybe Staten Island to Brooklyn. I can't remember. Um, but it that image of connecting um, the here and there and like you and me and that, that idea of like the bridge to another person and outside oneself is very powerful. And I think that's what is shown uh, in the way of grace that's being presented mm -hmm. that I think that Jack, the character is actually finally coming back to and wanting to, um, to embrace this mm -hmm. way of grace that allows one to bridge the gap between oneself and the other. Mm. Um, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, and in ways it may have to do with, um, like Malik's, uh, study. I think he originally studied philosophy and, um, before he got into filmmaking and the work of Heidegger and Kierkegaard are important to him. Kierkegaard being, I think, a very important um, philosopher and writer for some Christian thinkers in the 20th, 20th century. And Heidegger um, exploring being and like being in the world. And it feels like this is really present in his work. Uh, mm -hmm. This the kind of saving grace, this like miraculousness of life, the mm -hmm. different ways of being in life. And um yeah, I think I think it's very trans transcendent. His his focus is um, personalized, but as you said earlier, it's also placing the personal within like a larger framework and mm -hmm. like moving in and out of perspectives from subject to object, and then also transcending probably both or like in uh, creating film to like in these stories um, and these images to like transcend um, just like a personal narrative or. Um, like a, a more outside just kind of objective perspective mm -hmm. so I, I really uh enjoy that yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and that, that final image kind of maybe hints that he uh jack had kind of closed himself off from other people maybe because of um, his father and his upbringing and then this experience is, is yeah opening him back up to those connections to building those bridges that's really that's really yeah uh, a great way to think about that ending i think well, cool. Well, this is our final film of season four. Um, and so I thought we might just look back at uh, a little bit, just briefly to say, um, do we have a favorite from the list? Do we have anything that stuck out this time since you'd seen all these before? Anything that stuck out to you viewing them this time or maybe viewing them in, in this group? Um, so here's here's the films we've watched uh, over the last several weeks. We started with um, Ozu's Tokyo Story, and then we looked at Bergman's The Seventh Seal. And then Stalker from Andre Tarkovsky, and then Vagabond from Agnes Varda. Uh, then last time was Three Colors Blue 
from Gislowski, and of course this time was the Tree of Life from Terrence Malick. Um, if I'm looking at this list, I think so. The, the the Tree of Life was one that I had um, felt the most connected to before, and it, it came out as you know, this is the one I still probably feel had had the most. Um, I don't know, emotional connection to, or something like that. I don't know, favorite's probably not the right word exactly, but, um, and, and I think that probably also has something to do, um, with the fact that Malik is an American director and he's depicting American culture. And there's some familiarity there that my, my consciousness can kind of latch onto maybe a little better than some of the other, um, cultural settings. Um, but at the same time, I think the, one of my favorite things has been looking at all these different cultures and seeing, the family dynamics in 1950s Tokyo are not that different than the family dynamics that I grew up with or are still ex- am experiencing with, with grown parents, that sort of thing. Or um, looking at Bergman, and we talked about, you know, he made this in the 50s, Seventh Seal, but said it, um, probably smartly said it back in medieval times to point to the fact that these questions about death and these big things they're asking are kind of universal and uh, the questions about God and that sort of thing. Um, so I think through all of these, uh, and I think probably uh, setting wise, the other that has the most strong sense of, um, the, the, I don't know, the culture that it's, um, a, a part of is vagabond for me and seeing like the French countryside and seeing so many French people. And, and it, it does have those documentary touches that, you know, these are in a sense, these are real people, um, that she has on camera. So anyway, I think, um, yeah, for me, it's been the multicultural aspect of it has been um, maybe my favorite thing about watching all of these and, and seeing the different um, universal things, but also the the idiosyncratic things of, of other cultures and um, kind of think about all of those things, but also yeah, the, the big questions that some of these films kind of return to. Uh, I think Bergman very obviously deals with God um, and, and questions about humanity and death and life and uh, and then Malik doing a very similar thing in Tree of Life, um, but in, again in a very different way. And then Stalker, I think, also getting at some of those big um, existential questions. That um, I don't know, Stalker might be the most memorable actually from this group, just because it is such a unique uh, film. But anyway, yeah, those are sort of my rambling thoughts about all these movies. I'm so glad to have watched all of these and to have talked through them. Um, I always have a feeling that. I don't want to just watch a movie and let it pass away in my brain, especially mm. movies that are as rich as these. So I think podcasting through them and doing a little research around that is helps them for me to stick. And, and I, um, so I really appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you, Andrew, doing that with me. And um, I, I hope that it's uh, been similarly meaningful for people listening and, and for you as well. But yeah, what do you think about the season as a whole? Well, thank you, Andrew. Yeah. I've really enjoyed watching these films and sp- uh, discussing them and speaking about them with you. I think one of the takeaways that stands out to me most is that these are all films that I really, really am moved by. That uh, I think have great lasting impact and have um, a rewatchability. I, I could go back to these films in future years and future mm-hmm. decades of my life and gain more perspective from them. Um, I agree with you that I think many like universal themes are presented and I think they're done in very honest ways by the directors that allow the audience member to engage with the films as they want to bring their own personal experiences, thoughts and beliefs and feelings 
things to these films and to not be always pushed in a direction of, mm-hmm. okay, now we're going from point A to point B and here's how we're going to do it. And I want you to feel this. Right. I feel like each of these films is much more open to the personal kind of interpretation and um, engagement that the audience member wants to, to, to focus on or involve themselves with. And uh, I, I found that all of these films has moved me very much. I think Tokyo Story is the film that resonates in, in, in a deep way with me. And I think that may be also because, um, like, uh, the grandmother and grandfather figure, I, I don't have any of my grandparents left alive. Hmm. And they were, in, in different ways, big parts of my life. Hmm. And um, seeing these this older couple with children and grandchildren and, like, Mm-hmm. unbeknownst to them like going towards the end of their life or one of their lives is a really um heartbreaking but also a very moving and evocative mm-hmm. image of like just the everydayness of life and the the minutia of things can hold great um value and meaning and purpose and the simplicity that ozu works in in his compositions even though i think they're rich uh th- they are consistent and he has like a minimal style in many ways mm-hmm. i think that does really well to me to just kind of almost in a raw way just open me up to what's what is actually happening to these people and the sensitivity that he approaches the films with i think all these filmmakers are wonderful and i recommend their works to everybody and i hope as well as as you said that people have enjoyed kind of going on this uh, adventure with us and it's been really rewarding for me. I actually turned 30 recently, so mm. it's coming to these films again after um, sometimes several, many years. I'm really happy that they still um, move me in new ways and help me see the world in, I think, a more um, a reflective way that I think without films like this, I may I don't know where I would get that perspective because mm. some of these, mm-hmm. I mean, Malik is... An American filmmaker, but he's, you know, I think he was born in the probably 40s or 50s, and right. he mm-hmm. is a very different life and perspective than myself. And to see that is really rewarding. And to see Agnes Varda, um, a female French filmmaker who died uh, just, I believe, a couple years ago, um, and as you said, in the French countryside, just um, showing a really in a way devastating, but just true and beautiful work in Vagabond um, mm-hmm. of uh, yeah, it's it's breathtaking, and I, I think cinema can bring up these universal questions. That even if it's it can be, the cultures are different, and things mm-hmm. are different, and the questions can be different, and the experiences definitely uh, individually from these people are lived differently than how we live them here. Um, yeah. But they are hearkening back to a shared common human experience. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some commonalities that we can work on, and if. An, us as audience, an audience can, you know, come to the film, films like these in a, in a way where we want to engage, we want to work and we want to, to be present and to pay attention, uh, and to bring our own experiences. I think these films can be very rewarding and beneficial for years. Uh, and in ways like I think great books can, you know, shape one's perspectives or, uh, make you question things anew or, um, just provide, you know, some lasting, um, pleasure even in mm-hmm. just viewing them. Yeah, I, I I like all those things you said, and, and it just, there's some um, Mark Twain quote. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's basically about the best way to like um, 
feel empathy for other people is to travel and to like see other cultures and experience um, different types of humanity from your own. Um, I think this is the next best thing is, is watching movies from other cultures because it's more than even like reading a novel or, or um, any other kind of artwork that you are seeing the people in these cultures and, um, and see, again, seeing those commonalities. That's something I keep coming back to. Um, I mean, from the beginning of this podcast, I, I've said this many times, but watching the films from other cultural contexts and other time periods um, always brings me back to that shared humanity that you're talking about. Um, and it strikes me too, I think, um, Tokyo Story, it's sort of maybe a nice opening to the Tree of Life's ending in that they both set up sort of a dichotomy. It's a little more subtle. I mean, it's pretty subtle in both of them, but thinking about the bridge and, you know, maybe he's closed himself off, but he's, um, Jack is learning to reopen those bridges um, to other people. In Tokyo Story, uh, there's that moving scene at the end where the, the youngest daughter is complaining that her siblings have not um, been as kind or gracious to their parents in their old age. And, and, and she says the response is, you know, that's how everyone is, you know, that they have their own mm-hmm. lives. And, um, and so it's almost like, you know, if, if the choices, most people are selfish to some degree, but you can make a choice to be something different. And, um, mm. and so anyway, just seeing that kind of two ways of living, maybe uh, that maybe again, a simple way to to look at it but i think that's an interesting parallel to the tree of life but it also strikes me i think that something we've said a word that we've brought up with almost all of these is um poetic uh, and, and thinking about the poetic connections you can make in the poetic imagery and um and like as you were mentioning like the openness with which you can interpret these we, we almost could have called this season poetic cinema and i think because all these have fit into that so so nicely but anyway yeah it's been it's been a real joy and um i'm excited for uh the next season i definitely want to have you back for another season i do have some tentative plans for the following season of the podcast uh, i won't announce those just yet because it's not quite set in stone but um mm-hmm. Anyway, the point is I definitely want to have you back again for another season, Andrew. I've really, really um, enjoyed our discussions. Uh, I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I think um, a parting thing I will say here um, Mm -hmm. is that to to kind of uh, continue – with what you were saying, I wanted to say uh, and add on to it that this sort of film, these sort of films also, I think in this day and age, like what we live in and all the, um, just, uh, the difficulties, uh, that were seen in the world mm. with, um, tensions between groups of people, between the government mm. and the citizens, um, everything going on to engage in cinema that helps bridge us, bridge the gap between mm-hmm. us and others is really, really important. And I think that um, art has a role and a place of really helping um, mm-hmm. connect and create empathy and compassion for people who are, uh, in some ways, we perceive them to be potentially very different than us. But mm-hmm. um, be that the case or not, it doesn't really matter. There is a shared commonality of life yeah. and being human. And I think these films from different cultures explore that. And if we're sensitive to that. I think there's a lot to learn and uh, a lot to enjoy. Um, so I think they have use in a practical way as well for, mm-hmm. for just trying to open one's heart to, to others. Yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful uh, way to end out the season. Thank you for again for, for being here for all of that. And I, I think that's, um, yeah, a beautiful sentiment. And I think that's, that's so true of um, 
cinema is an empathy machine. Yes, that's a famous quote from some mm. filmmaker. And I think these films definitely um, embody that idea too. Uh, well, we will say goodbye then to Andrew and, and close out season four. Thank you again so much for, for being here, Andrew. Oh, thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Thanks. If you want to support Art House Garage, you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're using. And you can keep up with Art House Garage on the social media. We are at Art House Garage um, just about everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. You can also find video reviews on YouTube and reviews and event coverage on the blog at arthousegarage.com. You can email me directly, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com with any feedback. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, that will do it for this episode. And until next time, keep it snob free.